What have you asked yourself? What's the point of my life? What am I here for? From the time we're born, we're fed the story that life is random, a product of chance. But if that's true, why do we long for so much more? Why does it seem like the human soul is made for meaning, designed for direction? Here's why. God created you on purpose for a purpose, and you are empowered for a specific focus in a particular place among certain people. Let's explore how you are wired by God. City Church, good to see you guys. So what do you do uh, when you have a week like this? And uh, just you feel the weight of the world. You feel things that are happening. Well, there's a few things you do. Um, When you stop and pray, I think that is absolutely important. The world may laugh at that, but you're praying to the God whose hands move the world. Amen? And so it's important for us to come around our brothers and sisters in Christ and other countries and, and to pray for leadership, pray for local leadership, pray for global leadership. You know what else you do? You gather and you worship. Because you, I don't know if you felt it during that last song, but just this reminder that Jesus is king. We constantly need to be reminded of his, of his kingship and his authority and his sovereignty. Uh, but the third thing you do is you press forward in your calling. Like we need to continue living out because when, when, when it feels like the world is falling all around us, all the more need for us to press into living out God's will, living what he has for us. And so we've been, uh, we're wrapping up a series here that we've been going through, uh, this idea of wired, looking at how we are shaped and wired by God. And, and here's kind of the outline we've gone through, this run-on sentence, but it's this building idea. God created you. So you are in God's image for a particular purpose. He he intentionally wired you, and you are empowered. The Holy Spirit has empowered and gifted us for a specific focus that only you can accomplish in a particular place, the city in which we find ourselves among a certain people. This is what it means to be wired. And so what do we do when we start to get clarity around how we're wired and gifted and created in God's image and sent with purpose? We need to then go, we need to live our calling. We actually have to live it out. It does no use if we get clarity around what Scripture has called us to, but we don't then go live it. So that's what we're going to do today as we're wrapping up the series and, and we're getting ready for our eight-year anniversary and getting ready for, for launching our next series of what it means to be uh, on mission in our city. We're looking at this idea of how do we actually live our calling. So if you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to open up to Romans 12. It's a passage where Paul is going to walk us through what it means to actually live our calling. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab one or you can follow along on the screen behind me. We're going to put the scriptures up there. Romans 12 verse 1, this is what Paul says, therefore brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this age but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. What does it mean to live our calling? It means living out God's will for our life. It means actually walking in what he has for us. And God's will is that your life would matter, that it would have meaning, that everything you do, how you spend your time, 
how you interact in relationships, uh, how you spend uh, time with work, use your gifts, your resources, all of it has eternal spiritual significance. Uh, look at here in verse 1. It says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. So the way you live, you're, you're to present the way you live as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. He, he's, he's connecting this idea be, by how we live our everyday lives how we interact in everyday relationships, how we interact at work, that is, it, it's spiritual work. It, it, it is worship. We think of worship as singing. We think of worship as prayer. We think of worship as sacraments. Are those things worship? Absolutely they are. But you know what else is worship? How you raise your kids. You know what else is worship? How you show up to work tomorrow. That it's worship. It is a spiritual act of worship. And he's building on this Old Testament idea. So if you've ever, if you've been around church or maybe you've ever read the Old Testament or maybe you even are just familiar, you hear about these sacrifices. And so that is how, uh, that is how the Old, in the Old Testament, the people of God would worship Yahweh. They would make these sacrifices on an altar. And sometimes it was grain. Uh, sometimes it was incense, sometimes it was different resources they had, but most of the time it was, it was a particular animal, things like birds or goats or sheep or cows, right? And, and they would say, I'm sacrificing this to declare you are worth more than the things of this world. And what Paul is connecting, he's saying, no, in the New Testament, we no longer make those sacrifices because Jesus was the one and only sacrifice. He was the ultimate living sacrifice. And you now, the way you live your life, that's how you worship. The way you show up at work, the way you, the, the way you interact with that barista, the way you treat your employees, the way you pray for your enemies, the way you treat your neighbors, that is your spiritual act of worship. And you know what the problem with a living sacrifice is? Living sacrifices are constantly crawling off the altar. And, and that's where we find ourselves. We're like, okay, I want to live to God's glory, but over and over. So how do I actually do it? How, how do I live out God's will? And how do I walk in this? Um, that's what he moves into verse 2. It says, Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. We have to be a people that resist conformity to this age. The, the way it thinks, the way it speaks. And what that means is we do not allow this age to define who we are what we value, what is meaningful, what is significant. Rather, we need a transforming of our minds. See, we're, all, this whole series has been around how do we live with purpose? How do we walk in what God has for us? And the problem is this age, the message of this world, it tells us a different story about how to have a meaningful life. Here, here's a few categories. It tells us riches, popularity, power, and loved. And I'll use that word loved with air quotes because it, because it, it's a different definition of what it means to be loved. What, what are riches? Uh, financially wealthy, status, ease. It's saying, hey, if, if, you want to be mean, if you want a meaningful life, pursue riches. You will be satisfied. You will be content. And so we work and we work and we work and we strive and we want to save up our 401k and we want to gather real estate. And if I just would do those things, then I would have meaning or, or popularity to be well-liked, to be well-known. Another word would, would be this idea of, of being famous. Man, if I could just be well-known, if I could just 
just have, and, and the, the bar for fame has changed, right? Like we're, now, now you can be like insta-famous. Like the bar is lowered. You can like, I'm blue check, let's go, right? Okay, uh, or power. I'm talking about political power. If, if I would be satisfied and I would have meaning if my side won. If we had the power, if we had the influence, and this could be power at work, power at home, whatever it looks like. But in this idea of loved is not the biblical sense of love. It means to be agreed with, to be praised, to be celebrated for being on the correct side. I, I love what actor and theologian Jim Carrey said, all right? Not in, <laughs> maybe a little less on the theologian, but says, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so that they can see that that's not the answer. So we strive after these things. And we think, if I just had these, do you know why these are the weapons of the enemy? You know why? Because these are all actually good gifts from God in their proper form. What, what, why does he say riches? Because everything we have is a gift from God. All of creation says he owns a cattle, a cattle on a thousand hill, hills. It's all his. And, and he's, he's our good father who wants to give us good gifts. But the enemy twists it, and we think, no, no, I, I need to have everything rather than trusting in his provision. You know why we seek after popularity? Because we're created for community. We're created for connection. It's not good for us to be alone. But we twist it and say, no, I, I want influence, or I want everybody to love me and adore me, rather than to be known and loved just for who we are in Christ. We want power because we are actually created as eternal beings, and one day in the new heaven and new earth, we will rule and reign with Christ. That's our inheritance, is to partner with him in that. And so the twisted short-term version of it is power here. And now, it, it, it again, you see this takes a good thing, and it twists it, and it skews it. And even this idea of love, the world's idea and concept of love, of being agreed with, of being on the right side, of being accepted because you said the right thing, or you retweeted the right message, or you're in the right vein. It is a twisted idea of, of the idea that we are loved in Christ, because, and we have value because we are created in God's image. And so we strive after these things that look like a shadow of what God has made, but we find ourselves skewed and off course. What we need, rather, is lives lived in alignment with God's will. This is what Paul is saying here, because this is what Jesus did. He, he lived a life. He was the living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And, and as followers of Jesus, we walk in his footsteps. And so God's will, the calling that he has wired you for. I just need you to know what is his will. It's good, pleasing, and perfect. Let's look at this. If you would follow after Jesus, if you would walk in obedience to God, you will experience his goodness. You will experience the, the, the pleasing of his will and the perfection of, of his will. And here's what I mean. But, but good, it's when you're walking in his will, you're experiencing his goodness. And I don't mean ease. And I don't, definitely don't mean lack of hardship, but I mean in everything you go through, you can still see God's goodness. Like, no, he's working something good in this. There's, there's a richness, there's a depth to an obedient life. There's meaning, there's beauty there. And it's not just good, it's pleasing. Specifically, not just pleasing to us, but this, this term when it's used, it means it's pleasing to God. 
And why is you, why you walking in God's will? Why is it pleasing to God? Because that's what he made you for. Um, you, you ever made something or built something or, or designed something and then you go to use it and you're like, this actually worked? You're like so happy, am I right? You're like, oh, because I spent all this time and intentionality that it would serve this purpose and it actually does. That's how God feels about us when we actually are walking in his will. There, there, there's a joy to it. It is pleasing to God that we would walk in God's will. Okay, think of it this way. So uh, like I, I bought a car uh, about a year and a half ago and when I bought it, I was like, no, no upgrades, no nothing. But the one thing I've like wanted was like heated seats. Okay. Right. So like talk about, you know, suffering for the Lord. I, I just like Pacific Northwest. I want these heated seats. And so rather than buy the upgrade, I was like, I, I waited a year. And then I told my dad, Hey, what I want for Christmas, go to an eBay. Here's a link. I want these heated seats, 60 bucks. And I see it and it's like wires and a button and like a little pad. And I'm like, I can solve this. Right. Like, I can install this, no problem. I can make this happen. Okay, this is three hours in. I was like, what have I done? Like, literally, thank you. Thank you for your deep compassion. And, and I, like, text that picture. And I was like, I think I did something wrong. Like, I, this is, this is, yeah, this is not. This is, thank you, thank you. Yeah, yeah, try writing in it, you know? All right, okay. Still don't have a seat in there, no. So, I had no idea the layers of this, but you know what? I got those heated seats installed, okay? When I say those heated seats, I mean that because it came in a set of two. I got the driver's seat in, and I went to my wife, and I said, baby, I love you, <laughs> but I ain't putting another one of those in, right? You can have a blanket when you drive with me, right? <laughs> but here's what I need you to know. When I get in my car now on a cold day, I experience the Shekinah glory of God. <laughs> I'm like, Lord, you are good, and your mercies endureth forever, right? It's just, I just, I'm so, I'm pleased. I'm so happy. That, that they, because they function. Imagine if I got done and then it was still just a cold seat and I'm just driving angrily with my blanket over my lap for some reason, right? I'd be so, but here, here's what I need you to hear. This is, God is pleased when you walk in his will. It gives him joy. It gives him, he, because he says, that's who I made you to be. Listen to me, nurses, you know how God wired you to be a person of compassion and care and presence? Do you know the joy that it gives God when you care for his people? It's, inc it's incredible what you do. Teachers, like I, I know you do it for the money, but the rest of us, we still... <laughs> none of, teachers never find that funny, right? We're all laughing like, oh yeah, we get it. And teachers like, bro, like chill, all right? <laughs> But like when you use your skills to articulate and, and, and convey ideas, it's a beautiful thing. God, it brings God pleasure. He, he's, he's filled with joy over watching his creation walk in his will. Whatever it is, I don't care if you are in construction. I don't care if you're a police officer. I don't care if you're a mom or a dad. Whatever it is, if you would walk in God's will. You're going to experience that it is good. And it is pleasing to him. And ultimately, it is, God's will for your life is perfect. It's perfect. And what, what this word means, this idea of, of his will being perfect, is it, 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 it's the right fit. 
You're going to feel and experience something different walking in his will that you never... Have you ever, uh, like, bought an article of clothing, like a pan, like pants or a jacket or shoes, and you put them on, you're like, oh, like, I don't know who made that, but they made that for me. Like, it, fit, it, like it, fits, like it fits, right? That's why everybody loves spandex, right? You know, like, oh, it's made for me, right? Okay, so uh, Nolan was walking through, one of our other pastors here was walking through the hallway, and uh, my wife and I were walking past him, and he had this hoodie sweatshirt on, and I was like, oh, like, that looks amazing. He's like, oh, it is. Tells me the brand, like, all this kind of stuff. We're either talking theology or fashion, apparently, uh, and this is the only fashion discussion we've had. And so uh, he, he walks on, you know, no big deal, moves on. Well, my birthday comes around, and my wife remembers that conversation, and so she gets me that sweatshirt, just in a different color, so we're not total twinsies, just he's Tanner, right? Okay. <laughs> This is that sweatshirt. I love this. I like put it on. I, yeah, you're like, that looks good. Thank you. I appreciate that. You know, I'll stay humble, right? I put it on. I put it on. And I was like, why am I more comfortable than before I put this on? Like, it's like buttery, like, don't, like, it's buttery soft. Like, it's so nice. It, the, the, the pockets don't go all the way through. It's like individual pockets. What, you know those like secret pockets that are inside a pocket? I don't know what it's for, but if I ever need to carry a ring to Mordor, I know where to put it in this pocket, right? <laughs> I, I, like lo- I, like, love it. I love everything about this. It just feels right. This is, that's God's will. You, it, <laughs> you, <laughs> that wasn't meant to be funny. That was meant to be profound. Man, all right, let's pray. Uh, <clears throat> when, you walk, when you walk in it, if you're like, you're like there, this fe- I feel I'm experiencing the goodness of God in a different way than I'm walking when I'm walking outside of it. Why? Because it's good and it's pleasing and it's perfect. It is what you are made for. You, how you are wired, you are created to walk in obedience to God. And I'm not saying it's going to be easy. In fact, scripture tells us how hard it is. There's sacrifice, there's pain, there's hardship, but it is valuable. It is worth it. It is the only thing meaningful. There's a German theologian named Diedrich Bonhoeffer. And uh, he he was an incredible man. Started a seminary, wrote these theology books. But one of the things he's most well known for was that he was a German theologian in the 1940s, which means he lived through Nazi Germany. And he was a radical pacifist. He says, look, based off the teachings of Jesus, I cannot support any war. I cannot support killing of another human being of any kind. But then Adolf Hitler rose to power. And he looked at the call of God. And he said, I feel like the only way to walk in God's will for my life is I need to gather together these other Germans and we need to participate in an assassination attempt on Adolf Hitler's life. He went from pacifist to to, to conspiring to, to have Adolf Hitler killed. Now, it failed and he got found out. So they put him in a concentration camp and they killed him. But these are, these are the words of Diedrich Bonhoeffer. He says, being a Christian is less about cautiously avoiding sin than about courageously doing God's will. Amen. Now, this is, this is not to under, nowhere in scripture does it undermine sin. And, and, and he is not looking to undermine sin. But here's what we do. 
We say to be a Christian means to abstain from all these things. And as long as I don't do those things, then I'm following Jesus. And he's like, no, 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 no. To be a Christian means to have the courage to take a step of obedience after step of obedience after step of obedience. This is what it means to be transformed inside and outside. This is why we need a renewing of our mind so that the words of scripture would shape how we live not the world around us. And as we look to Jesus and we see his perfect grace and his perfect love, and as we find our identity in him, not in the things that we do, not in what the world says, that is how we we begin to be transformed and we walk and understand God's good, God's pleasing, and God's perfect will. Paul then continues on in verse 3, says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. We're different. We are one body, but we don't have the same function. So we though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. What he's saying here is that, we, yes, we have a calling on our lives, but we also need to understand that we are wired together. We, we are deeply connected as the church. And, and what I need you to know and see from this is that you matter in Christ's call to the church. You walking in obedience to God matters to your neighbor. It changes their life. And all of us, we, we need to think of ourselves with, it says, sober judgment. That word, it means a clear mind. Not influenced by the world. Not influenced by believe in yourself. But influenced by scripture. Who does scripture say that you are? Who, does scripture, who has scripture called you to be? And so, yes, the, in a church, are there different roles and functions? Absolutely. But we need to know that though different in function, there is, no, there is no difference in importance. We all have vital roles to play. Like, there's no gallbladder in the church. You know what I'm saying? Like, that can just be removed. And we're like, I think we're good. I think you can continue on. And that metaphor didn't pan out. Okay. <laughs> Here, here's what this is saying. Um, listen, don't think of yourself as irreplaceable. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Amen. All of us are. We, we think, man, like, that, like I'm, I'm going to leave and they're going to feel the difference. Yeah, we, we would grieve that. But none of us are irreplaceable. But also don't think of yourself as irrelevant. You need to think of biblically and know that you are the body of Christ. That's who you are. That's your identity. And so hear this. You have a role to play in this church, each and every one of us, a mission to reach our city with the gospel. And it takes all of us living our calling and walking in it. And it is unhealthy if a church ever creates this this hierarchy of importance of people by, by how gifted they are. Or, or maybe they have more upfront gifts, or maybe they stand on a stage. That No, the church is all the body together. I remember when we first planted, there was a number of families we planted together, 
and uh, we went and had dinner uh, at this this family's house, and and it was this big, elaborate, fancy dinner. And uh, the the gal who had made the dinner, she made this like big deal about serving me first, like made the plate, and like I didn't even notice at first. And then I like looked up, and everybody was like, and I'm like, oh, why am I the only? Oh, serve the pastor first. And I looked over at Stacy Cutchell, who you know how leads worship, how plants the church, and she gave the biggest like eye, like eye roll I've ever seen in my life. It was like a four second eye roll, and I just looked at her. And I was like, Stacy, culture of honor, right? <laughs> like we can learn from this. Like I, you know, and so that's like our our phrase. I'm like, Stacy, culture of honor, right? But like, okay, can I just say how ridiculous that is? Like, don't like. I mean, you can serve me first. That's fine. But like, don't like. It's when a church has that mindset of one person being more important. No, we are the body. This is what it's saying. You are needed. Your gifts are vital to the mission of the church. We, like, we have a low stage for a reason. You know what I'm saying? Like, because it is not about people who get up on a stage or stand behind a pulpit. It is not about a position. It's about calling. It's about gifting. It's about all of us being vital to the role. In order for our church to actually live its potential, it is only living that out when all of us are, are, are walking in obedience to God's will. And all of us are actually living God's calling. A couple weeks ago, my family, we were gone. We went on a family vacation. As soon as we uh, got where we were going, I started to get the messages of what was happening in this church. The loss, the grief, emergency surgeries, death, death of children. It, it was heartbreaking. And you know what I feel in those moments? You know what my flesh feels? Like, I need to go, I need to go be there. I need to, because I love my church. I love you guys. I'm like, I need to go be there. And I think my church needs me right now. But, but that's actually not true. You know what the church needs in those moments? The church needs the church. We need each other. And so I get to watch from a distance as these, this family who lost their four-day-old four daughter was cared for and loved and surrounded with prayer and, and walked through this process. I watched as people went in for emergency surgeries and ki kids were taken care of. I just, I, I just stood back and just watched from a distance, just so filled with joy as the church walked in what they have, living out all the sacrifices and service for each other. This is what Paul is saying here. That's what the body is. And a church cannot be built around a single person other than Jesus Christ. He is who we build, and, and all of us, but we all have to play our role. This is what it means to saturate our city with the gospel, is that we would saturate our city with the presence of Jesus, us actually walking in our calling. And so please hear me, like you are a vital part about what we're doing. Next week, it's our grand opening, right? You guys are like, grand opening? Like, you guys have been open for two years. Yeah, but we never had to, got to have a party, so we're celebrating what God has been doing. And you know what you can consider next week? Consider it the launch of our church. You are the beginning of it. Don't, don't, it is not something where we look back on these days or those days. Like, we are just getting started. And you have a vital role to play. And so we're very, you, you'll get to know that we're very intentional about everything we do, including the language. And so one of the terms you're not going to hear us use uh, is the word volunteer. 
Um, let me explain why we don't use the word volunteer, and, and it ties to this passage. A, a few things. One, um, it, it evokes the wrong emotion, and here's what I mean. Um, I, I feel like sometimes you get up, and, and what happens is, is the, you know, the kid's lead gets up and is like, hey, we got a lot of kids. You guys keep making babies. We need more people uh, to volunteer for, right? And then what is it? It's like a scene out of the Hunger Games, right? You're like, Kat, you're like Katniss, not, not, that, not that bad, Katniss Everdeen, like, I volunteer, right? And we're all like, oh, like, peace be with you. And we all give, give a sign as you go back to the kids area, right? That's volunteer. That's what I feel and think when I hear the word volunteer. Here's the thing, it communicates the wrong message. And here's what I mean. Nobody volunteers for the body of Christ. You are either the body of Christ or you're, or you're not. But it's not something where you're like, hey, I'm following Jesus, but I'm just not going to live like the body of Christ. Like, if you are a follower of Jesus, surrendered to him, you are his body. And you care for, and you serve, and you love, and you use the full expression of your gifts. And thirdly, I need you to understand that it contradicts the biblical call. I don't want you to sit back and think like, oh, like, will I volunteer or will I not? I need you to know that you are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. That God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. And so why do we use the word team? You'll hear that often. A few reasons just to kind of pull the curtain back. Uh, First, because words shape culture. And as a team, we have a mission. And all of us are vital to it. That's what unites. The mission unites us. Not because we go to the same service. Not because we all know each other and have dinner at each other's houses. We are united in purpose and mission. Second, it's true to the biblical metaphor that we're the body of Christ. And so we need to understand that. And and we we want this nomenclature. We want this language within our church. This is why we have things like team nights and team huddles and team parties. Because we we need to all understand this. And third, like I need you to know you have a role here. And and here's what happens whenever we talk about the mission. There's a number of individuals who are like, man, let's go. And then there's another group of people who are like, go get them, tiger. But I'm not ready yet. I'm not gifted enough. I'm not the right personality. I'm not experienced enough. None of that stuff is what qualifies you for the kingdom mission that God has for you. You know what qualifies you for the kingdom mission? The obedience to follow Jesus. That's how he equips us. That's how he moves, that we would be radically obedient to God's call in our life. And there's some of you, even as I share this stuff, you're like feeling uncomfortable. You're like, is he talking to me right now? The answer is yes. Like I am. That's the Holy Spirit convicting you. Like there's some of you that that want to sit on the sidelines as a spectator. That God is calling you to step into the game and use who he's made you to be. Use your story. Yes, it's filled with brokenness and pain, but he wants to redeem it. Use your gifts to reach his city, to see his gospel go forth, that we would be the light of the world, the salt of the earth, city on a hill that cannot be missed. That's what we want to walk into. And so, you know what the prerequisite for being used mightily by God to flip the city upside down is. It's not experience, not knowledge, not personality. It's a commitment to radically obey the call of God no matter the cost. And that's what I'm calling you to. 
Would you be committed to radically obey the call of God in your life, no matter the cost? Last week, I came across this Instagram post by a pastor and a leader of a prayer movement, and I just found myself so moved by it. I just wanted to share it with you because I think it's so important for our church to see and to hear. This is what he writes. He says, honestly, I'm a little tired of celebrity pastors. I'm troubled by the loud applause we give to pride and mere efficiency and the dearth, the lack of simple kindness, humility, and mess in the way we build community. Can we please all just put down our spreadsheets and smartphones for a moment and simply remember Jesus? Since when was the measure of a church's success its size instead of its love? Its budget instead of its sacrifice? Its seating capacity instead of its sending capacity? Maybe the question we should be asking ourselves are ones like these. Do I feel like I have to pretend on Sunday or can I actually be real? Are we truly a praying community? And if not, what does that say about our spiritual depth? Do we actually believe our own beliefs? Are we truly led by a team or by a single charismatic personality? How much of our budget do we invest beyond ourselves in the poor and the lost? Would anyone else in our town notice? Would our city grieve if we ceased to exist? The world needs a church in every community that does the works of Jesus, looks and sounds like Jesus, and models true family for those who feel lonely and lost. This is what our neighborhoods need. This is what our city needs. You guys, there's a message out there that the church is becoming irrelevant. That's such a load of crap. The church is more needed than ever before. And you are the church. And what that means is not you having it all together or having all the right answers or having all this experience. What it means is you walking in steps of obedience as God lays them before you. And if we would do that, we can't even begin to imagine the impact and the transformation that would take, start to take place in our community and our world. Is everybody going to get saved in our city? Absolutely not. It's clear from Scripture, many will reject him. But we will not be a church that stands by and says that some never heard about him. Some never saw the church actually living this out and walking in obedience. And so we need to be a people that understand that as we use our calling, it's for God's glory and others' good. As you walk, we spent two months looking at how we're wired. And now as we walk in them, what's the result It's glory and praise to God and good for our neighbor. That's what it is. This is what he says in verse 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Walk in it. If it's prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving. The one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in his generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. We are all wired differently, but we all have the same call. And what is that? To walk in our wiring. 
to use our gifts that God has given us. And let me just, I, I just want to give you a framework that I think is helpful. Now, it, we've been going through these wired booklets and, and walking through this process of looking at personality and spiritual gifts and, and what, is a, what is a Mago Day and what is a biblical community and all these kind of things. If you have not gotten a wired booklet, you can stop in the next step table on the way out. Like, they'll give you a resource. But at the very end, it culminates in this, like, it's right, it's getting clarity around your calling. And so there, there's this kind of formula framework that I think is incredibly helpful when asking, man, what am I called to do? And I, I want to talk through these elements. I'll just share them, share the four first, and then I'll explain, and you'll see how it fleshes out. It's action plus who plus impact plus how. That's your calling, okay? So now, now let me explain this, all right? Action. This is about what you do. What is the action that you take? Do you encourage do you foster? Do you train? Do you speak? Do you teach? Are you an example? Do you host? Like, you, you have to actually take an action. It's a life lift. But understand that that's not for yourself. It's for somebody else. It's for somebody you're impacting. And so who are you impacting? Is it children? Are you called to impact men or, or maybe women or single moms, teens, elderly, families, those who are overseas, homeless in our own community, those who are suffering, neighbors around us, within your, within your own city, within your own, with your coworkers, there is a, call, a burden that God has put on your heart. Maybe it's foster kids. Maybe right now it's refugees as we see what's happening in our world. But you are called and you are wired to make an impact on a certain group of people. And, and the impact is, what is the impact? What change will take place? Are these kids going to graduate? Are these moms going to learn to manage? Are these individuals going to learn different skills? Are, they gonna, are these addicts going to recover? Who are they going to become? Are they going to be renewed, transformed, changed, discover? And then ultimately the, the question is, okay, but how do I do this? What context is it done in? Is it through writing? Is it through creating? Is it through overcoming? Is it through experiencing, modeling, providing? Is it in your home? Is it teaching? Is it building? Is it planting? Is it starting and launching? Let me explain, let me explain my calling and how it's given clarity to so much of my life and where our church is going and how it fits into this. All right, here's my calling. It's to raise up the next generation of leaders through the local church to see their city transformed. That's my life. To raise up, that's the action. That's what I want to do. The who is the next generation of leaders. I used to say young leaders because I would look at 18, 19, 20-year-olds. I'm like, I can impact them. But, but here's what I'm realizing. There's 30, 40, 50, 60-year-olds in this room that you are the next generation of leaders. God is not done with you yet. But either you've never stepped into the game or you've already moved on. But how do we do it? We do it through our church. That is why we're constantly investing, calling to more, raising up. And what is the impact that we want to see? We want to see our city flipped upside down by Jesus. We are, we, this, is, this is not just about a gathering on Sundays. I, you know how much I love gathering on Sundays. You know how important it is to worship and to sit under the Word. But this is about a movement. This is about a gospel movement where we're seeing it actually be lived out. And, and as I've been able to define that, this is why I want you to be able to have some clarity. It's given me such clarity around my calling to where I can live with purpose and passion. Like, it's what I wake up for. It's what I'm thinking about when I go to bed. It's why on the Sundays I'm not preaching and no one's up here, I'm just overjoyed 
Because I look at him walking in his calling of teaching the scriptures, of expounding them in such a beautiful way. And I just think like, what a joy that I get to participate in that. It's why I love investing in Kristen Friend. And and I see the leader that she is and how she moves our church forward. It's why I love coming around and raising up and supporting Marissa as she leads Rise Kids. It's a joy. I love watching Kim as she rallies the prayer warriors of our church. I love watching Ken as he disciples young men, Andre and Julie as they come around marriages, Jesse as she creates our gathering space, Zach as he uses his story, Melissa as she leads the charge in serving our community. Look, I could go on and on and on. This is the church being the church. This is what we're called to do, and you have a role. You have a calling, and imagine if we, the church, began to live out our calling walking in radical obedience, having the courage to pursue the will of God, the selflessness to sacrifice for the good of others, the faith to believe that God actually still moves, and the prayers that are cried out in response to that. What would our city look like? What would our church look like? Imagine if we had a passion to see every spiritual gift in this room and every person actually tapped into. Imagine what would happen if we found our identity, not in what the world says we are, not in what our parents say we are, not in what friends say we are, but what the Word of God says we are, what what was written down before time even began. Imagine if we would live that out, what kind of church we would be. This is the call of Paul here. He's like, hey, like, how are you gifted? Man, use it, because you are a body, and we're doing something. There is a movement starting that is going to continue for thousands of years. And millions of people are going to be brought into the family of God. And we have this small chunk called Gresham, Oregon. But we will not rest until the name of Jesus is heard by every ear. We will not rest until a church where people can actually experience the family of God is known by all. We will press on and press forward. Would you, would you do me a favor? Would you stand with me? Because I want to read this last passage from Paul. And I want to read it as a prayer. But I also want you to know it's a commission. This is the kind of church we are called to be. This is the kind of church that Paul is, built, is calling us to build. He says, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another and showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Church, this is our call that we would be this kind of community. This is what our city and our world needs, a church that actually lives out the love and the grace and the truth of Jesus amongst brothers and sisters. Lord, would you build this in our church? We recognize and we acknowledge that your church was bought with your blood. And the only way to live this out is through an empowerment of your Holy Spirit as we seek to obey you. So this is not something we're trying to build. This is something that you've promised to build. 
But Lord, would you hold us fast to your scriptures? Would you hold us fast to your gospel? Would we be a people so radically committed to your grace and your goodness that we would walk in it day by day? And would you do so much more than we could ever imagine? We pray this in your name. Amen.